in an effort to use as many different microphones as possible, I am going to record the intro on a third one. Anyway, this is our much requested, much waited on part two of Fellowship of the Rings. Um, and we're finally wrapping it up with a little intro by me and a little bit of extra story by the great Robert Von Hagen and Mike Carroll. Well, Mike Burns and I desperately try to keep up. Thanks for listening. Keep rating, reviewing, and sharing however you get this podcast. Thanks, guys. This is a reading from the chapter The Bridge of Casa Doom from Book Two of Fellowship of the Rings. They now went on again. Before long, Gimli spoke. He had keen eyes in the dark. I think, he said, that there is a light ahead. But it is not daylight. It is red. What can it be? Gosh, muttered Gandalf. I wonder if that is what they meant, that the lower levels are on fire. Still, we can only go on. Soon the light became unmistakable and could have been seen by all. It was flickering and glowing on the walls down the passage before them. They could now see their way. In front of the road sloped down swiftly. And some way ahead there stood a low archway. And through it, a growing light came. The air became very hot. When they came to the arch, Gandalf went through, signing to them to wait. As he stood just beyond the opening, they saw his face lit by a red glow. Quickly, he stepped back. There is some new devilry here, he said, devised for our welcome, no doubt. But I know now where we are. We have reached the first deep, the level immediately below the gates. This is the second hall of Old Moria, and the gates are near away beyond the eastern end on the left, not more than a quarter of a mile, across the bridge, up a broad stair, along the wide road, through the first hall, and out. But come and look. They peered out. Before them was another cavernous hall. It was loftier and far longer than the one in which they had slept. They were near its east end. Westward, it ran into the darkness. Down the center stalked a double line of towering pillars. They were carved like bowls of mighty tree, whose boughs upheld the roof with branching tracery of stone. Their stems were smooth and black, but a red glow was darkly mirrored in their sides. Right across the floor, close to the feet of the two huge pillar, a great fissure had opened. Out of it, a fierce red light came, and now again the flames licked at the brink and curled around the bases of the columns. Wisp of smoke wavered in the air. If we had come by the main road down the upper halls, we should have been trapped here, said Gandalf. Let us hope that the fire now lies between us and pursuit. Come, there's no time to lose. Even as he spoke, he heard the pursuing drumbeat. Doom, doom, doom. Way beyond the shadows at the western end of the hall came cries and horn calls. Doom, doom. The pillars seemed to tremble and the flames to quiver. And now at last for a race, said Gandalf. The sun is shining outside. We still may escape. After me. He turned and left and sped across the smooth floor of the hall. The distance was much greater than it had looked. As they ran, they heard the beaten echo of hurried feet behind. A shrill yell went up. They had been seen. There was a ring of and clash of steel. An arrow whistled over Frodo's head. Boromir laughed. They did not expect this, he said. The fire has cut them off. We are on the wrong side. Look ahead, called Gandalf. The bridge is near. It is dangerous and narrow. Suddenly Frodo saw before him a black chasm. At the end of the hall, the floor vanished and fell to an unknown depth. The outer door could only be reached by a slender bridge of stone, without curb or rail. 
that spanned the chasm with a curving spring 50 feet. It was an ancient defense of the Orders against any enemy that might cross Gate Hall and the other passages. They could only pass in single file. At the brink, Gandalf halted and the others came behind. Lead the way, Gimli, he said. Merry and Pippin next. Straight on to the stair beyond the door. Arrows fell among them. One struck Frodo and sprang back. Another pierced Gandalf's hat and stuck there like a black feather. Frodo looked behind. Behind the fire, he saw swarming black figures. There seemed to be hundreds of orcs. They brandished spears and scimitars, which shone red as blood in the firelight. Doom, doom, rolled the drumbeats, growing louder. Doom, doom. Legolas turned and set an arrow in the string. Though it was long shot for his small bow, he drew, but his hand fell and the arrow slipped to the ground. He gave a cry of fear and dismay. Trolls appeared. They bore slabs of stone and slung them down to serve the gangways over the fire. But it was not the trolls that had filled the elf with terror. The ranks of orcs had opened, and they they crowded away, as if they themselves were afraid. Something was coming up behind them. What it was could not be seen. It was a great shadow, in the middle of which was a dark form, a man-shape, maybe, yet greater. A power and terror seemed to be in it, to go before it. It came over the edge of the fire, and the light faded as if a cloud had bent over it. Then with the rush it reaped across the fissure. The flames roared up to greet it, and wreathed about it, and black smoke swirled in the air. Its streaming mane kindled, the blaze behind it. In its right hand there was a blade, like the stabbing tongue of fire. In its left it held a whip of many thongs. Aye, aye, wailed Lightless. A balrog, a balrog has come. Gimli stared with white eyes. Durin's bane, he cried, letting his axe fall, and he covered his face. A balrog, muttered Gandalf. Now I understand. He faltered and leaned heavily on his staff. What evil fortune. I'm already weary. The dark figure streaming with fire raced towards him. The orcs yelled and poured over the stone gangways. Then Boromir raised his horn and blew. Loud the challenge rang and bellowed, like the shout of many throats under the cavernous roof. For a minute the orcs quailed and the fire's shadow halted. Then the echoes died as suddenly a flame blown out by a dark wind, and the enemy advanced over the bridge again. Over the bridge, Gandalf cried, recalling his strength. Fly! This is a foe beyond any of you. I must hold the narrow way. Fly! Aragorn and Boromir did not hear the, heed the command, but still had their ground side by side. Behind Gandalf at the far end of the bridge, the others halted just within the doorway at the hall's end and turned, unable to re- leave the bridge, unable to leave their leader and face the enemy alone. The Balrog reached the bridge. Gandalf stood in the middle of the span, leaning on his staff with his left hand, but his other hand glamdering, gleaming, cold and white. His enemy halted again, facing him, and the shadow about it reached out like two vast wings. It raised its whip, and the thongs whined and cracked. The fire came from his nostrils, but Gandalf stood firm. You cannot pass, he said. The orc stood still, and a dead silence fell. I am the servant of the sacred fire, wielder of the flame of Anor. You cannot pass. The dark fire will not avail you. Flame of Udun, go back to the shadow. You cannot pass. The Balrog made no answer. The fire in it seemed to die. The darkness grew. It stepped forward slowly on the bridge, and suddenly it drew itself up to a great height. Its wings were spread from wall to wall, but Gandalf could be seen, glimmering in the gloom. He 
He seemed small and altogether alone, gray and bent like a wizened tree before the onset of a storm. From out of the shadow, a red sword leaped flaming. Glamdring glittered white in answer. There was a ringing clash and a stab of white fire. The Balrog fell back and the sword flew up in molten fragments. The wizard swayed on the bridge and stepped back a pace, then stood again still. You cannot pass, he said. With a bound, the Balrog leaped full upon the bridge. Its whip swirled and hissed. He cannot stand alone, cried Aragorn, and suddenly ran back to the bridge. Elendil, he shouted, I am with you, Gandalf. Gondor, cried Boromir, and leaped after him. At the moment, Gandalf lifted his staff, and crying aloud, he smote the bridge before him. The staff broke asunder and fell from his hand. A blinding white sheet of flame sprang up. The bridge cracked. Right at the Balrog's feet it broke, and the stone upon which it stood crashed into the gulf. While the rest remained poised, quivering like a tongue of rock, thrust out into the emptiness. With a terrible cry, the Balrog fell forward, and its shadow plunged down and vanished. But even as he swung its whip, its thongs lashed and curled around the wizard's knees, dragging him to the brink. He staggered and fell, grasped vainly at the stone, and slid into the abyss. Fly, you fools, he cried, and he was gone. One, two, three. Recording me at all? Oh, yes, you are. I just wasn't on screen. Helps. One, two, three. Welcome to Required Reading. This time, we're finally back, finishing up Fellowship of the Rings. Uh, this is technically book two, so we, we, we allowed a time for us to all read it this time. Um, so we, for those of you who have not listened to part one, which you should, uh, we're about to pick up at the Council of Elrond, and uh, really quick, let's go around the horn and introduce yourself. I'm Nick Hoffman, uh, social studies teacher here at the Mare School. Okay, we have. Uh, I'm Mike Carroll, English teacher. Mike Burns, uh, English and humanities with mm -hmm. the great Nick Hoffman, and uh, Robert von Hagen, college counselor. Yeah, we have our relative, our our representative, Tolkien expert here. So. Uh, would you like to start us off, Robert? What's going on in the story so far? Yeah, so uh, when, when last we left it, uh, Frodo had uh, just um, uh, made the uh, sprint across into um, Rivendell uh, through the river, and, uh, um, and so he kind of collapses, and when um, the second book uh, uh, starts off where he's waking up in bed, um, and he has, uh, Gandalf is there with them, and he's been healed, um, and uh, you know, he had the injury um, in the uh, previous uh, part of the book, um, and so Elrond's kind of getting him up to speed on what's happening, and he's found out that everybody's safe, and there's a, a time of pause as they get ready for the Council of Elrond. Yeah. Yeah, perfect. So this is, <laughs> I've seen the movie, I've read the book several times. This is always where I think the book jumps immediately to. I forget this is halfway through the first story, but this is the part where like, they're finally really getting sent off on the mission. We're already halfway through. We're like a couple hundred pages through this book already. It's kind of impressive, but this really reestablishes the whole purpose of the story, right. right? Because beforehand, you know, he's almost a messenger. He's, he's, he's a child. This is, this is now his confirmation. Right. Um, 
And before the, the first half of this, he's barely scraping by, and now the council is kind of where this re, like reformats the, the story into like three heroic stories happening simultaneously. Mm. Yeah, and uh, just kind of thinking back to the last time that we were recording, we were talking about how there does seem to be kind of this stark difference between uh, the tone of The Hobbit mm. and then the tone of uh, The Fellowship. And I think that that kind of really gets... I think that, that really starts to ramp up with the council and uh, and with Rivendell, and I think that you're you're suddenly no longer in your children's story. You're no longer in your um, you're no longer in like this this fantasy kind of like uh, like like bedtime story that that sometimes the the Hobbit can have a feel of. Now now all of a sudden we've got. We have the, we understand a little bit better the the kind of the, the background of the ring and we know kind of the the monumental task that this is going to be and and then after the council you kind of launch yourself into uh, into what is kind of a big boy story. <laughs> That's right. We were we were, yeah. we were kind of talking about that at, when we were when we were recording last, um, and I think that that it really starts to ramp up in that way when once the council is underway. Can right, I ask a question got, for you guys? Yeah. So, so I was you guys are much more. Um, deep into this than I am but how much of that is a setting shift like Tolkien does it here among the elves which are sort of like divine mm -hmm. creatures is this the presence of divinity marking a, a change or am I reading too much into that to think of it that way I mean my, my take is the first two chapters uh, he wrote and sat on and, and it was really in that old story and part of the Hobbit and then over it evolved uh, from there uh, to where we are in the Council of Elrond, where, where he's bringing in all of the legendarium from his other stuff that he did. And so, and I, I agree with you, like the Council of Elrond is where it all kind of comes together and, and goes there. But it's, it's, it's a, it's it evolves over time. I mean, I, as he's writing in real time, he's discovering new things to, to put in. Yeah. Also, I have two. Uh, this to me feels the most different um, storytelling because, well, let me put it this way. When, when, when I teach World War II, we're always talking about how the battles are happening while the conferences are happening, and that's what mm -hmm. I get here. Like, you have, like, Boromir talking about they're destroying my people, right? We right. want the ring because we want power. Mm -hmm. And, like, but they're in this beautiful place. They're, this place doesn't smell of war at all, and yet all these people are terrified of what's going on in the background. And, like, th there's some of that here, too, mm -hmm. that they're trying to bring the reality of war while they're the furthest away from the war mm -hmm. that's possible. I, I would say though, like the, they, the Council of Elrond is they're making a decision about what to do with the ring. Mm -hmm. So the, the, they get the backstory on why wh that that it is the ring, and they establish that that it is legitimately the the ring of power, right? right. And so then they, they, Elrond and Gandalf, I think already kind of have an idea about what they want to do, but they have to make a decision. Right. Uh, and and the other piece of this is it's really also they. If you, if you as you read it, you realize that it's it is fated that that all these different groups the the elves certainly but the hobbits, Boromir, um, you know all these different people are converging on Rivendell because they've been called they had a dream I mean like there's different mm -hmm. things that are bringing them to it right and so this council is trying to decide what do we do with this ring of power, uh, do we take it up, uh, who takes it up uh, or do we uh, uh, throw it in the ocean or do we decide to destroy it um and bring it to the the um you know mount doom and, and right. destroy it right so and and and, it, and in a way um it's sort of a renouncing of of power um and, and i think they ultimately decide to go with the strategy of of the least expected yeah. um you know 
outcome, right? Like mm -hmm. to just for that that Sauron would know that they would destroy the ring. He wouldn't even think that, right? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. Well, and I and, and again, we'll we'll kind of get through this because, like you said, this is where we actually get the history of the ring right. told out over you know over pages and pages. And it's really cool. Um, something I was just thinking of Tolkien as a person, right? This comes out in '54. And he has made it very clear this isn't supposed to be World War One or World War Two, but it's kind of funny if you look at it in reverse. We now tell World War One and World War Two as though it's Lord of the Rings, right? Like yeah. the idea that the English and the French fight together for the first time against a somehow even more evil force that you know the English would fight alongside a Russian, right? Like, well, that's what it is. It's Gimli, and you know he's like, yeah. I would never help an elf and against an evil superpower, essentially. Right? right? Yeah. Um, I, I call BS on that. That it's not an allegory. How can he not <laughs> be informed when he's living through that, working for the War Department, right? I, I would say that Tolkien would would bristle at you, Conan, and Alex. Come I mean, on. I mean, I, I, Come I, on. He would. Uh, I think he he would say that. It, I mean, how could it not be influenced by his experiences, both yeah. World War One and and World right. War Two, but. But he would bristle at that. Did yeah, you? and I, I think that what, what's so kind of cool about that comparison, though, is that it does seem to have, whether it's an allegory or not, whether it whether it's it's trying to create that that kind of parallel or not. What I think is so cool about it is that you do similarly have kind of the uh, everybody that's coming to the council that's bringing their own baggage. Right. Right. I mean, the, right. like mankind is coming and, and, and there's their, their own man has has his own baggage and the dwarves have their baggage and the elves have their baggage. And Bilbo I think that baggage. that's part of the reason why and the, the, the council goes on for so long and there's there's so much of this kind of like back and forth that's going on there until it, it ends up being, of course, the hobbits that are the ones that are coming into this into this room, coming into this council that don't have that baggage. Mm -hmm. They don't have that that long history that that Tolkien has created with with all the backstories that are leading up to this council. And I think that th that's what's so interesting about it to me is is when those histories are. It's all, it's almost kind of like you're watching like a Marvel like Avengers movie yeah. where like finally all these plot lines are finally starting to unite with one another yeah. and you get it taking place at this council where there is such bickering and such in, in and such disagreement that's taking place as to what it is that should be taking place as a result of of finding themselves in this situation and because of everybody's separate and individual baggage they have different choices that they think that they should make and I think that that's part of what makes it so profound and so um, and so kind of uplifting when you get the the hobbits that are that are there and present and Kind of kind of like we were saying before it's it's a little bit more than just being the the path That's the least expected. I think that it's also the fact that they're the they're the the race that doesn't have that same baggage in history and so they're they're kind of allowed to come into this without as much um, as much as as much history kind of bogging and weighing them down yeah. The Bilbo baggage. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, I guess it is also a classical trope. I mean, as much as I want to put this on World War Two or whatever, but like, there's a scene in the Odyssey where the, all because they're all kings in the Iliad, they're all kings. Uh, hmm. You know, in even in Beowulf, when, when about the fight the dragon, there's this council that is called mm -hmm. together. So it, it is an old trope. It's just, you know, recent history. Can I, can I read from it? Really? Please do. Okay. Yeah. So this is. Um, this is uh, towards the end of the council, and, and um, it says, uh, No one answered. The noon bell rang. Still no one spoke. Frodo glanced at all the faces, but they were not turned to him. All the council sat with downcast eyes, as if in, deep in thought. A great dread fell on him, as if waiting the pronouncement, pronouncement of some doom that he had long foreseen and vainly hoped might, after all, never be spoken. 
An overwhelming longing to rest and remain at peace by Bilbo's side in Rivendell filled all his heart. At last, with an effort, he spoke and wondered uh, to hear his own words as if some other will was using his small voice. I will take the ring, he said, though I do not know the way. Hmm. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. (laughs) It's so good. Yeah. Um, so we should, I guess, mention this, uh, who's, who's there actually at oh, the yeah. council, right? So we have the elves, uh, the council is led by Elrond and yep. the white council. You have Arrester, who's a, a lord. He doesn't get much say cause he doesn't end up on the mission. Uh, you have Gandalf who's, you know, we'll talk about later. Uh, Aragorn, who has now outed himself as actually Aragorn to everyone cause they yep. recognize him. He's not just a ranger. He's the, the king of men. Uh, you have Frodo and Bilbo, um, Boromir, uh, you have Gloin and Gimli. I have a list here, don't worry. Uh, Legolas, Legolas yeah. <laughs> Glorfindel, and uh, Galdor of the Havens. Right. Um, and what's, of course, significant other than the fact that Merry and Pippin are hiding nearby and Sam is hiding nearby and everyone's, you know, mooching, uh, is the Bagginses are just kind of there. It's almost forgotten there, other than the fact that, you know, Frodo. And Bilbo are the ring bearers. Uh, they're almost ignored, other than to get the story told, to fill in the gaps of the story. And then it's assumed that someone else will carry the ring. Even at one point, I think um, Tom Bombadil is mentioned as a potential ring bearer, who, I mean, call back to the first part and the greatest character who's ever been written. <laughs> um, but it's just, it's so, what you said is so significant because the last two people you'd possibly expect. Right. It's it's, you know, you have Frodo coming forward and saying, I'll do it because my uncle did it before me. And, uh, you know, three books later, it's all solved. Like, right. but it's just it's, it's such an incredible scene. Yeah. And I, I I'm as you were reading that, Robert, I was kind of thinking to myself that, you know, that it, it is really interesting that I was just saying that it seems as though Frodo comes to the council and doesn't have that kind of history. But. I'd like to make an amendment to that. He kind of does because Bilbo also has, has this rich history with the ring as well. And so while Frodo might not have that history of, of, and all that ancestry that, that he brings to the council, he does have a lineage of carrying this ring. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's, that's for, for every bit as important as the, the elves are bringing their baggage and the dwarves and, and the, the Kings are bringing their baggage. I think the fact that, that, that Bilbo also carried this ring before Frodo does give him kind of almost almost kind of some legitimacy mm-hmm. here and and just as you were reading through that passage Robert I was I was kind of reminded of the fact that there is that there is that kind of drawing upon the 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 past that that mm-hmm. Frodo is doing there and that Tolkien is doing in in writing in writing Frodo's role into the into the carrying of the ring and I think that that's it's just really it, it it, it's not so much that that there's no baggage there because there is that baggage. There's the, right. there's the ring that that Bilbo had. I mean, I, I think part of the point though is that the council is they're rejecting power, and the most powerful people that are present at the council are not the ones that are going to take up the task, mm-hmm. right? They're yeah. the ones that are going to support the task, but it's these hobbits who are are sort of essentially the weakest that it's, it falls upon them to actually be the ones that do it. And so, again, a rejection of power um, by these, you know, by them and, and again, tr- throwing it away and destroying it, right? Yeah. Why would you say they're the weakest? 
I uh, think it's more innocence than weakness. Uh, I mean, uh, I think uh, Elrond, Gandalf certainly are more powerful, and and um, and, and certainly the men Boromir, Boromir and Aragorn, and and all of them. Actually, I mean, I really do think they are they are innocence absolutely, but they also. They're half the size of them. They're okay. halflings. Mm-hmm. They're and they're not warriors. They're right? not. No, they they're innocents. They're uh, but but they um, they're hardy. I mean, I, I think that's the the idea is that that um, you know um, as Tolkien uh, writes them, they're they you would never expect them to be the ones that would be doing this incredible right. task. But they take up the task and 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 um, you know right. go with it. Yeah, the reluctant hero. Yeah, exactly. Right. We, I mean, we should also talk about some of the baggage you're referring to, right? I mean, obviously the hobbits are, you know, the forgotten people from beyond the Shire. Everyone is shocked to see them for the first time, these halflings, right? Um, Aragorn, of course, is the an heir to the guy who screwed it up the last time. Isildur, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. which, yeah. So it's, the, it's called, I think, the War of the Alliance, mm-hmm. uh, which is what the new Amazon show is going to be based on, that billion right. dollars. It's, it's the, sec- <laughs> the second age, right? It's the right. end of the second age, right? Yeah. I believe so. Um but that's why, on one hand, he wants to redeem himself, but on the other hand, it's the symbol of, like, men have this lust for power, they can't possibly give it up, so how can we trust him if we couldn't trust his heir, the one who fought alongside Elrond? Um, well, and certainly there's a parallel, right, with um, um, Isildur uh, t- took the ring uh, and, and, and took it upon himself, and so Aragorn, actually in, this, in the book, yeah. different people have come to a decision point on what they're going to do with the ring. So Aragorn himself yeah. could have taken the ring, right? But he makes a decision not to. Gandalf could have taken the ring. He makes a decision not to. We'll talk about Galadriel. So like, there's these moments of decision mm-hmm. that, and maybe tempting that, that these different people. And so, so some people respond one way, yeah. some people respond another way. So it's really a part of that as well. Yeah. Well, and again, like uh, you remember, I mean, the thing that I always remember is Bormir trying to kill the hobbits later on. Like, I, it, it's, it's mm-hmm. such a visceral scene where someone you thought you could trust, you can't. Well, he tries to take the ring. He tries to take the ring. Frodo, right? Yeah. And, and like, but specifically here, he explains why he wants it. Sure. And it's a totally understandable reason. He's mm-hmm. the one taking the casualties right now. He's the one feeling the pressure. Um, and, you know, as the kind of steward of Gondor, his yeah. dad is going nuts. And it's getting intense. He, he wants the power. Um, and then, of course, uh, uh, Gloin uh, is some, one of the uh, dwarves who went to find the original mission, right? He's related to the Hobbit. Right, right. Yeah. He, he went on, yep, that's right. And then Gimli's his son. So. But so that's the debate, though. Do we, we use this thing of power that we need? We, we desperately are, are, you know, need um, strength. Um, and, and do we use it? But but that's sort of what the council's about is sort of Elrond and Gandalf are explaining like you can't use the ring like it's corrupt it, it'll corrupt whoever uses it. But that's that's the back and forth, right? Right. Uh, yeah. What they're trying to decide. Yeah. Yeah. And then the elves and the dwarves don't get along, so there's tension there, of mm-hmm. course. Right. And uh, we should, shouldn't forget that Elrond is just done with everything. He doesn't want to help. He wants mm-hmm. to stay out of it. He doesn't trust men anymore. Uh, so it's just, it's an interesting council that's been put together, sure. but very realistic that, mm-hmm. like you said, these people come with baggage and they have to decide. Well, and, and two to that point, uh, the age of, of the elves is ending, right? And then that's the sort of the, uh, the age of men is coming into their own and, and that's a part of it as well. So Elrond could, yeah, throw up his hands and say, Hey, I'm not gonna have anything <laughs> to do with this and I'll go to the Grey Havens and then leave. But, um, but anyway, yeah, so they make a decision. Yeah. Um, so ready to leave Rivendell yet? Or? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So um, we, we have the ring bearer who volunteers himself and then 
forces his little buddies to come along with him. Uh, and Sam's like, you know, he'll never leave his side. Uh, one, of, one of the great bromances in history. Um, but we get uh, Boromir, uh, we get Aragorn, we get Gimli, and Legolas are the, the main core along with the, the four hobbits. And then Gandalf shows up when he decides to show up, and leaves when he decides to leave, and he's the most interesting character in the story. I don't know how so they, they push the nine rider, uh, nine walkers against the nine riders of the, you know, yeah, the ring, the ring race, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. That's how they present it. You want to take us on the journey? Yeah. I, know you know uh, this. I mean, I, I don't know how quickly we want to go through this, but uh, yeah, they, they leave, uh, they set off, um, uh, and they go, they get, they kind of sort of get sidetracked. They, they, they go one route um, through the mountains and they're, they're getting blocked. Uh, and so they end up going through uh, the mines of Moria. Mm -hmm. uh, and so um, I, again, um, that that's uh, used to be the, uh, the heart of uh, the dwarves uh, kingdom uh, in middle earth. Um, and it, it had been overrun by orcs. And we find out later that there's a Balrog uh, there at the, at the heart of it. Um, and so uh, it's it's completely abandoned. Although again, um, they're kind of walking through and, and making their way through Moria, um, and um, and that's where we we want to talk about. You know, there, there's a confrontation between G Gandalf and and the Belrog at the end. Um, they yeah. they both fall, um, and so that's all we know is that they fall into a pit, and uh, the rest of the company makes it through. Um, and they, you know, they've lost Gandalf, who's been their, their guide. Um, and so Aragorn takes up the, the helm of leadership and uh, brings them to Lothlorien. Um, and uh, and they, they meet Galadriel, who's in Lothlorien. Um, yeah. yeah. Go, going back to when they make the decision to go into to the mines, yeah. obviously they know that, that that's going to be a treacherous path. And that's not the ideal path. Of course, Gimli, being associated with the dwarves, wants to, wants to go through the mines. Um, and they, they, it, it ends up being such that the door has been sealed. That's where the, yep. the speak friend and, 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 and enter, enter right. uh, ends up coming from for a while. I had that, um, it's been taken down, I think by the tours that have been walking through, but I had a sign that said speak friend and enter that was outside of my classroom. Um, but the, <laughs> but nevertheless, they, they enter into the mines and the, the connection between Gimli and Balin is, I think it's, it's it speaks to kind of that that rich inheritance and that rich um, that rich kind of lineage that the story is built upon, and I think that it's so interesting that it's yet another one of those moments. It's another one of those touch points where you get to see the vast world that Tolkien has created, and it's no longer just this one group of people that's traveling through the mines. It's now all of the history that goes along with those mines as well, right? That yeah. that, that Robert was alluding to, mm -hmm. and. I think that that is it's yet another one of those moments where you're reminded that like oh yeah there's there was a a, a whole war that took place around the, around this this power struggle before as well and it kind of ties it in in a really intricate way and there's these kind of like the these touch points throughout the story where you're where you hearken back to other moments that had taken place in in the history and, and here it's kind of like the the dwarves shining moment and yet it's been overrun in, in this new wave in this new in this new surge of power uh, in this new rise of power it's now been overtaken by by kind of the darkness and i think that that's represented so well with the battle hmm. uh, well also, something else we can bring up through this 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 whole movement though as well is magic is really used mm -hmm. for the first time here you know i mean Early on, we have the fireworks, and we're not sure if that's magic or a trick or what it is. But here, really, like, Soromon is attacking them on the mountaintop, mm -hmm. the, the Misty Mountain. And then in here, we have the standoff with the Balrog. Like, 
And we get an explanation from Gandalf that like there's only so much magic in the world, we can't use it all up. But we don't know what any of that means until this section of the book. Like, Soromon is so powerful that from hundreds of miles or however far away he is, he can like, control the elements and attack them and nearly crush them on this mountaintop. And then we have this tiny little man standing up against a Balrog. And that's incredible. Like, that's, an inc- that's the first time we really get how powerful he is. Um, and he does it to sacrifice himself. It's awesome. This is such a this part I read he reveals his power, right? He, yeah. yeah, he's he's hidden his power in terms of who he is, but that comes to yeah. he, he he reveals himself, right, in, in that moment, right? And, and yeah. no, Robert, is is there anything else that you can say about the the Balrog? I will I will say that I've been I've been going through the Silmarillion yeah. slowly, um, kind of over the course of the last couple of months, and I've, they made a mention of it when they were talking yeah. about the dwarves and the history of the dwarves. Um, but I'm I'm fascinated by kind of that that. Link from the from the Silmarillion into into the story. So, is there anything any, anything else that you can kind of enlighten us about kind of that monster in, in, in its source? So, Mor- Morgoth uh, was sort of the uh, the prime evil uh, character in the first age, right? And uh, so, it's sort of like the gods. Um, he's one of the gods who kind of rebelled, um, and so actually. Um, the, the whole first age struggle that, that Tolkien created is sort of the uh, the overthrowing of Morgoth. So Morgoth's chief lieutenant is Sauron, who is the chief evil character in, in this story. Um, but Morgoth created these, um, uh, brought into being these things that were powerful, and the Bal- Balrogs were some of them. Uh, and so anyway, that, that's where that comes okay. from, is it's my understanding. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this one is Durin's Bane. Durin's Bane, right. So... The, the dwarves uh, set up this kingdom and, and were doing really well and, and uh, you know uh, they were mining mithril which is a, a powerful uh, metal like a very uh, light um, and uh, a malleable metal um, and they dug deeper and deeper and deeper and so the, the story is that they uh, dug so deep that they sort of uh, woke up this Balrog um, and then the Balrog came and, and sort of destroyed them and from within. Um, is sort of what happens, and yeah. then the orcs came, and so again, that's sort of the power beneath um, the 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 kingdom, you know? right? Yeah, it's yeah. kind of like the reverse of the Tower of Babel, which we're right, digging right. down rather than, right, than right. building up. It's right. yeah. less. My uh, my wife has recently got me back into the podcast uh, lore, the Aaron Mankey podcast, and like, but there is there's this kind of like throughout every society every civilization there's this fear of going too dark deep mm-hmm. into the dark and this is such a perfect example of it because it's i mean of course one of the other hobbits wakes up the orcs and everything uh but gimli discovers that his like that everyone's dead literally everyone's dead he comes into a coffin like a so film. so balin yeah. had come back balin again was on the hobbit journey um and he had come back to try to repopulate and to to, to bring back the dwarves into this kingdom uh, and that's what, yeah, that's what, what we find out that, that uh, no, people, st- the, the dwarves uh, heard from Balin for a time in the company that he brought, but then all of a sudden there was silence. And so they, they, they realized what happened, uh, that Balin, everybody that Balin brought uh, is killed. Uh, and, and again, the orcs have retaken the, the mines, yeah, with, again, with the Balrog at the center, yeah. And um, I forget if it's Merry or Pippin, but one of them knocks literally, yeah. a, like, armor down, a, down like a uh, well. well. right. But that sound, like, it, it's such a visceral idea because you know it's just, it echoes forever. Right. It's, and just like, you know, I reread it recently and I've watched the movies recently, but it's just, it's so hollow. And you realize that there's just a few of them against the endless hordes. And that's, that's why this works so well. Mm-hmm. 
um, as they're trying to escape out the backside of this, you know, they, they come across an incredibly narrow bridge, while on one side there are orcs firing arrows, yep. which Legolas is firing back. Um, all of a sudden, there's this light, um, and everything stops, and they awaken the Balrog. Um, I mean, we should also, I guess, mention here, this is the first time we see a troll that they kill. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you get, this is where they discover that um, there's mithril armor, the hobbit's wearing mithril armor. Right. Uh, Furtis attacked um, by the orcs, and they, they, they think he's been killed, but he actually, surprise, he's got the mithril coat that uh, um, uh, Bilbo right. uh, gifted him. Right, yeah. This is the second time in the book he's nearly died. Uh, he, yeah, <laughs> and then he will complain about nearly dying the entire rest of the story. And I like him, but it's just it's such a trope by this point that he's like, oh, it's getting heavy, Sam. And like, well, then I'll carry you. And then that's that's just how the last two books kind of go. Mm -hmm. um, any, I, I see people looking for quotes. Yeah, I was I was just making my way through the through the chapter that uh, that we were discussing and the 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 way that it's described because I, I I remembered going through it and just. Thinking about the doom, doom, oh, yeah. doom, and just the the way that the drum the the drum beats and, and, and the way that it the way that it sounded was just so so powerful. Um, and that's the I mean the, the Tolkien is just amazing at creating through sound and yeah. uh, you know the creating the atmosphere and the environment and the feel for sure yeah yeah and you get that that onomatopoeia that doom 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 mm -hmm. which is just you you can kind of like hear it echoing just as it's as it's echoing in kind of your head it's it's also echoing in the through the halls of the mines. Well, and, and to me, it's just it, it screams of the history of, of places like, you know, of Central Europe. Like during the Black Death, everyone is dead, but there's these giant castles looming over the horizon. Or there's stories of in the uh, Peloponnesian War of Greeks coming across old abandoned Persian cities that must have been abandoned for a hundred years with towers taller than they'd ever seen before. Mm. And so there are these there are these people in this giant space. And everything is somehow alien to them, hmm. and it's so well illustrated. And again, it's it's Tolkien as a storyteller, but also as someone who's a historian and has looked at these places and these things. And uh, it's definitely a callback to you know Valhalla and all these things. Yeah, there's a there's a passage just at at the end, and I think that it it kind of expresses some of the the way that that Tolkien is using sound. It almost it almost sounds like poetry when you when you listen to it. But this is this is right after the. Uh, the passing of the bridge, um, and it says, th this, it's kind of like as they're, as they're exiting uh, the Mines of Moria, it says, They looked back. Dark yawned the archway of the gates under the mountain shadow. Faint and far beneath the earth rolled the slow drumbeats. Doom. A thin black smoke trailed out. Nothing else was to be seen. The dale all around was empty. Doom. Brief at last, wholly overcame them, and they wept long, some standing in silence, some cats upon the ground. Doom, doom. The drum beat fades. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Um, Gandalf dies? Yeah. <laughs> sort of. Sort of, yeah. yeah. Right, right. So Gandalf the Grey gets the thou shalt. Well, actually, the movie does it wrong, so I'm going to get it wrong. Um, yeah. The movie changes a lot, and I right. always want to say the movie version because Ian McKellen's so good at it. <laughs> uh, he is. Uh, yeah. But he stabs the staff down, and yeah. it's unclear, at least what I read it recently, whether he breaks the bridge, whether the magic is too powerful and everything kind of falls apart, whether that's what he intended to happen or not. Right. But he sacrifices himself one way or another, and you have this giant smoking fire monster holding a sword, 
and they all fall into the bottomlessness. The, and again, if if the dwarves are to blame, they're to blame here too. They went too deep. It's it's literally right. he says they went too deep, and now maybe their one hope, Gandalf, is going down into that deep. Um, I got to scream theme alert here, right? Yeah, you because have to. This is just a microcosm of the whole novel, right? Mm -hmm. The idea that ambition exceeds mm -hmm. your ability to control it or power that or something, power, yeah. right? Yeah, so right. Just had to say it. Well, and sacrificing. <laughs> no, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And he yeah. just tells these little stories over and over in different ways to build this whole epic. Yeah. Um, what I think here, the thing that always gets me is the book doesn't stop for it. They can't. They're being chased. The orcs are chasing after and they get outside and the hobbits are losing it. And Boromir's trying to get him to keep going, and Ericorn's like, give them a second to grieve for their friend. And he right. goes, we don't have a second to grieve. They're still coming. Um, which to me feels very much like warfare is. And they, they, I think this part really moves as a story. Like, it really does fly by. I, I, going back to Mike's point, though, I would say that the, uh, Tolkien's Catholicism plays a role in sort of his, his ideas about good and evil. And you can just see it's, it's exactly yeah, yeah. Re renouncing power and, and uh, yeah, right. for sure. Yeah. Elevating the humble. And, yep, yeah, exactly. And then spoiler alert, along those same lines as the Christ figure, we get the resurrection that ends up coming later on with like, right. Gandalf the White. Right, 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 right. Yeah, blessed are the meek, right? Stay tuned. <laughs> We'll talk about that. Did you have a quote? Yeah. So I was, I was, again, I was just kind of paging through and we were talking about just how quickly we get kind of that, that transition. I mean, we can't wait um, for, for any sort of grieving. And so I went to the moment that uh, the, the fly you fools line, which I love so much. Um, and it, it, so, so again, this is, this is as they're, as the, the battle with the Balrog has, has kind of led to, um, to Gandalf's fall. Um, and it says with a terrible cry, the Balrog fell forward and its shadow plunged down and vanished. But even as it fell, it swung its whip, and the thongs lashed and curled about the wizard's knees, dragging him to the brink. He staggered and fell, grasped vainly at the stone, and slid into the abyss. Fly, you fools, he cried, and was gone. The fires went out. The blank darkness fell. The company stood rooted with horror, staring into the pit. Even as Aragorn and Boromir came flying back, the rest of the bridge cracked and fell. With a cry, Aragorn roused them. Come, I will lead you, he called. You must obey his last command. Follow me. And there you get that transition from Gandalf being the one that's mm -hmm. that's in charge of the troop to now Aragorn being the one. And it happens so fast. It happens in like four sentences. And now all of a sudden we're, we have new leadership here that's, that's going to be taking us on the rest of the quest. Yeah. Right. And, and that's also his call to become a king, right. effectively. And he, he picks it up, which we'll get to over the next, you know, two and a half books. Um so we get to, yeah, let's get to Lothlorien. Mm -hmm. We got a lot of ground to cover in a short amount of time. <laughs> yeah, so they, they make their way to Lothlorien. Uh, Galadriel is uh, um, one of the elvish uh, ring bearers. Um, and so she has sort of, uh, she has her elven uh, kingdom on earth, uh, you know, sort of like, uh, 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 why am I blanking? Elrond and Rivendell. So this is another sort of the last bastion uh, of, of, of elfdom on, on Middle Earth. Um, anyway, they make their way through, uh, and they meet her, um, and she, um, you know, they, um, she, she helps them. Um, she, um, you know, lets them, um, it's like a great scene. I, again, I don't know if, as y'all have read it, but, uh, she, um, presents them with gifts, um, and then she, uh, sends them on the way. But what, what else would you say about sort of their experiences with Lothlorien and, 
I mean, I only want to mention that Gimli just wants some hair, which is kind of a right. weird scene. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, but no, I mean, it's she. She's tempted by the ring. Mm-hmm. For she half is. A second, that's right. That's right. Mentioned. They're they're within her power. She could take the ring if she wanted to. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it almost seems like, and you were talking about with, or we were talking about rather with with Elrond earlier on that that he could kind of like put his hands up and say like, okay, I'm 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 done. Like this is this is kind of right. the, the end of my rope, and 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 this this doesn't uh, this doesn't affect me. This doesn't bother me. And Galadriel kind of has a similar moment where she also is tempted by the ring, right? And and is able to uh, is able to kind of like avoid that temptation, though she it like almost seems like she's going to give into it at first, and then she she ends up being able to to kind of like withstand and, and overcome, and then she kind of like retires after that. the The way that it's described in yeah. the book is that like it it took a lot out of her, and and so she she kind of just like retired after that and it, well so she renounces her power that she could have taken up with that and so she's gonna the elves are fading right and right. so this is her way of saying i accept that fate and i will fade into the west right right yeah. so yeah absolutely mm-hmm. she's given she's renouncing that yeah yeah can I, I i there's one passage that's just probably one of my favorites from the book it's it's uh so Aragorn uh, f- f- uh, fell in love with Arwen here in this in, in Lothlorien, and so um, Frodo and he have a moment. Um, it's just one of my favorites. I'm, I'm going to read it um, real quick. Yes. Um, At the hill's <clears throat> foot, Frodo found Aragorn standing still and silent as a tree, but in his hand was a small golden bloom of Eleanor, and a light was in his eyes. He was wrapped in some fair memory. And as Frodo looked at him, he knew that he beheld things that, as they once had been in this same place. For the grim years were removed from the face of Aragorn, and he seemed clothed in white, a young lord, tall and fair. And he spoke in words in the elvish tongue to to one whom Frodo could not see. Arwen van Melda, Namaria, he said, and then he drew a breath. And returning out of his thought, he looked at Frodo and smiled. Here is the heart of Elvendom on earth, he said, and here my heart dwells ever unless there be light beyond the dark roads that we still must tread you and i come with me and taking frodo's hand in his he left the hill of sarath amroth and came there never again as a living man that's great yeah it's incredible um why do you like that passage so much robert it's yeah i mean i think the the writing is is uh, beautiful i think it, it it's um you know aragorn's lost in a memory Frodo comes upon him. This is a magical place. Um, it's bringing all these elements from, uh, you know, from the past, and and it, it's bringing it into this moment. I just think it's just beautiful. Yeah, love it. Yeah. It, it something I like about this book is it does step away to have those moments, right? Like, mm-hmm. you could cut down two hundred pages and just make it more of an action adventure story, but he doesn't. He slows down and has these, in- because that also makes him much more of a character that has a past, that has motivations outside of just the mission. It, mm-hmm. it, it really works. Um, the end of this story, this this book, and I mean, Robert brought this up last time, uh, but I'll, I'll re- reiterate this. Originally, he wanted the whole thing to be one giant story. Right. And uh, the publisher's like, we cannot publish a 1500 page book, so we'll break it up into three, and then it came out in subsequent years, mm-hmm. right? That's right. So, um, so, of course, we know that Gandalf made it, but this book ends with Gandalf dead. Right. Um, you know, and at the end of the story, everything has fallen apart. 
The right. fellowship ends, right? Uh, so we have the thing that I alluded to earlier. Uh, you know, as they're leaving Lothlorien, they're kind of, you know, given supplies. They're given right. um, ships and cloaks and uh, the Lambeth bread. Right. Um, and at this point, Boromir attacks Frodo to take the ring. Right. They have to decide which direction they go. Yeah, absolutely. Boromir attacks Frodo. He has an opportunity to. And they're, they're attacked by the orcs, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah. And, and Frodo, yeah. So uh, it's a moment where they're all... Um, going off in different directions. Uh, Boromir, uh, uh, you know, Frodo knows what he has to do and he knows he has to go down uh, to, to Mordor, but he, he's afraid. Uh, and Boromir try, meets him alone, tries to encourage him to um, to take the ring and, and go with him to Minas Tirith. Uh, and Frodo, you know, says, no, no, I can't do that. And then Boromir tries to take the ring from Frodo. Uh, and so that Frodo puts on the ring, disappears. Um, and then, um, you know, that, that motivates, uh, or, uh, you know, Frodo to know that the right thing to do is to to leave the fellowship uh, and go by himself to try to um, to to destroy the ring, uh, and, and uh, Boromir uh, you know is distraught and and uh, goes crazy and so then uh, Frodo leaves off um, and Sam uh, you know realizes where he is and, and joins him and they, they float away uh, making their way down to Mordor. Uh, Bor- Boromir. Um, comes to himself, realizes the mistake he's made, and he uh, is able to save Merry and Pippin, who've been attacked by orcs, um, or, or try to save them. They mm-hmm. get uh, they get bound up in the orcs that are there, who are actually with uh, uh, Saruman's orcs, are, are part of that group. Uh, and they're, they they uh, take Merry and Pippin, they bind them, and then they, they're going to bring them back to Saruman. Um, and then, yeah, and then um, Boromir dies, and then uh, uh, Legolas, uh, Gimli, and, and Aragorn uh, have to make a decision what to do, and they they uh, they they're like we're going to follow the um, the hobbits, and we're going to uh, you know they they decide to leave Frodo and Sam on their own, and they're they're going after the the orcs and the hobbits, yeah, Merry and Pippin. Yeah. So I mean, all that to say, the Fellowship lasts this one story, right? Mm-hmm. This one book, not even half of the book that we're holding, right. like literally this right. one half of the book. Um, and by the end, Gandalf's dead. Uh, Sam and Frodo are gone. <laughs> Two of them are captured. Another one died. Boromir died. Another yeah. we're down to our yeah, big three. Things are things are looking a little bit bleak for the uh, for the yeah um, for for our party. But what what I think is so interesting about this moment in the overall story is that if you look at it kind of from the storytelling perspective, up until this point, you've just been following this one group as they've been traveling through Middle Earth. But at the at the breaking of the party, once once the once the the group once the fellowship has dispersed, the narration of the story changes, and I think that hmm. that is it, it's part of I think Robert what you're talking about with this story kind of like expanding upon itself as it's as it's developing, mm-hmm. and part of what that does is it it kind of it it, it does so in a really narrative wise, it does so in a really interesting way at that at this moment. Because now no longer are we following just one group making their way through Middle Earth. Now we're following the stories of the the Broken Fellowship. So now we're following Frodo and Sam as they're on their leg of the journey. We're following Merry and Pippin who, uh-oh, they've been captured. How are they going to be able to get themselves out of their sticky situation? Then we get Aragorn and Gimli and Legolas who are going on their branch of the journey. And so as the story then continues, it it has expanded so much so at this moment that... 
that no longer, because we're no longer following just one group, now each chapter ends up being dedicated to a different leg of the journey. And so I think that in terms of the storytelling here, it allows for the reader to be able to explore so much more of Middle Earth and so much more of, of the, this world that Tolkien has created from a narrative perspective because of the fact that we've now branched off into into these and now we get to encounter the ends and now we get to mm -hmm. and now uh oh it looks like it uh, looks like Gollum is back right and and so we, we get kind of the the expanding of the story in such the, a way the that it allows yeah. for yeah. us to follow these different these different aspects of the story as as we now travel in a with a much broader strokes with, with with much kind of like with a lot much larger of a scope now at the rest of Middle Earth and and that's what I find so so fascinating about the story is the is the world that Tolkien has created and it really starts to we've talked like about three or four moments where the story really starts to pick up and I think that it does so once again here because you because you get to now. Find Follow these these different trajectories as they're making their way through the world. Mm -hmm. um, I think we're pretty much to the end here, but um, I, I, it's obvious that we've recommended now that we've talked about just fellowship for more than two hours. I would guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it does make me wish that there was a format we could teach these books. Mm -hmm. Like it would probably have to be a whole one-term elective, and then you know start with the Hobbit and then go through the trilogy. Uh, but it's just. It's really a cool way to do the um, Joseph Campbell's kind of, you know, mm. the hero's Hero story. on a journey. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, it's the simplest version of it is, you know, A New Hope Star Wars, but I think the best version of it is Lord of the Rings. Mm. Um, but yeah, any, 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 any parting blows? Any final thoughts? I got a final quote. Please. Uh, this is, um, I wish it, it need not have happened in my time, said Frodo. So do I, said Gandalf, and so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. I think we're <laughs> slow by. Yeah. yeah, no way uh, to end it better than that after we've come through a pandemic that we never thought we'd see. And um, Anyway, so I guess I've been Nick. Yeah, this is Mike. Mike. Robert. Thanks, guys, and we promise we'll be back for Two Towers uh, in December. Thanks.